and welcome to The Grand Thunk, the podcast in which we, Alex Blanchard and Rhiannon Kearns, discuss what we've been reading, watching and listening to, a fairly simple premise. We have transcripts in our link tree in our Instagram bio at The Grand Thunk. You can message us there or email us, thegrandthunk at gmail.com. We love to hear from you. And you can now also visit our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash The Grand Thunk for bonus episodes, extra content like exclusive interviews and deep dives into some of our favourite things. See you there. I'm so thrilled and delighted to be here today with Chelsea Pippin, who is a writer, a tarot reader and a creativity coach who uses tarot and oracle and art therapy to spark and access creativity. And I've been looking at Chelsea's amazing Instagram and using that as inspiration for my own writing over the past couple of months. And I'm so happy to be talking to you today, Chelsea. So welcome to the Grand Thunk. Wonderful to have you here. How are you? Thank you. Well, I'm my ego is sufficiently soothed after such a brilliant introduction. So thank you. I'm so I'm so delighted to hear that you've been you've been using some of the tips. That is amazing. I I'm always really great grateful to hear how people are getting on actually using tarot in their creative lives. Yeah, and I think because it feels like you're before we launch into it, why don't you explain a bit about how you use tarot to help writers and, and what, what that what that looks like? For anyone who hasn't seen your Instagram. Yeah, absolutely. So I myself always wrote from images. I've been, I've classified myself as a writer since I was a very young child. I think it was Mm. one of those, as many of us do, your parents and your teachers tell you you're good at this one thing. And so that's what your identity is for the rest of your life. (laughs) Um, So I was a writer from a very young age because I certainly wasn't good at math. Um, So I, and I've always written from images and from art. When I was 10, I did this citywide competition called the Writer's Eye Competition, mm-hmm. and um, where, where they took us on a field trip to the local museum, and we all had to write from paintings. And I think for oh. me, that was, uh, yeah, just eye-opening. Mm-hmm. I loved to tell stories before that, and I think realizing that I could use imagery, photographs, artwork as a launching off point was really really wonderful to me. I Mm. loved having those windows. And so I I wrote like that my whole life. I I always used, whenever I was stuck, I always turned to photo archives or went Mm. to the art museum the same way that you would, you know, you see an artist sketching in a museum. I think I've very much been that writer sketching out ideas in a museum my whole life. So that's kind of where I found, I found tarot as a result, I think, of this habit that I have of, of writing from art. I didn't realize at the time when my friend pulled out her tarot deck for me for the first time that that's what was going to happen. But the second Mm. she put them down on, we were sat on her kitchen floor and the second she pulled them out, I Mm. went, oh, of course, of course, this is, this makes complete sense. I can see story here. And what's really beautiful about the tarot. So I had this long history of writing from images, even as a journalist, I, I worked really closely with art directors and I, and I worked from inspiring photos to to tell me what I was going to write about. So 
So then here's tarot, and tarot is full of imagery, but it's not just that. It has a language system. All of the cards mm. are interconnected by associations between each other. So it's this perfect blending of storytelling mm. and and imagery. So there's so much to work with. And I think I'm not alone. I know as far as writers and, and artists go, that one of the most complicated things about being a creative person is the the extent to which it feels lonely mm. and not quite and fe that sense of feeling lost sometimes I don't know I think about stranger things I think about 11 in that like black <laughs> upside down I yeah. feel like that when I'm on a project and I don't have any guidance and I don't have anyone to turn to oh. and tarot is this once you learn the system even just a little bit you don't have to memorize the cards and what all of them mean and you don't have to think about how they read the future or any of that mm. but you've suddenly got this really magical map almost of I'm sitting here writing a story and suddenly the blank page has really gotten to me mm. and I can draw a card and I can say all right whatever is in this card is going to give me what I need for the next paragraph mm. and I'll draw a card and who knows what's coming but suddenly I'm not alone there anymore yeah. there's something to work with and prompts work like this right like it's not mm. tarot is not the only way you can get a prompt people do this they turn to prompt books you've mm. got I know I don't know if it's Scrivener or there's another writing software that has yeah. a little pop-up where you can ask for a prompt so people have been unsticking themselves in various ways for a long time but tarot mm. is portable you can stick it in your pocket it comes with a rich language that you can play on as well so you're not just dealing with a single prompt on a one-off basis you're dealing with the language that you learn to speak it's fun and weird <laughs> and writers and artists love fun and weird so all <laughs> together it just makes this really cool tool that you can carry around in your pocket and whenever you're stuck you can just be like I'm gonna shuffle a deck of cards and see what comes up and something's yeah. gonna happen yeah. which is amazing it's amazing yeah you've given such a rich answer to that but I, the interesting thing about tarot before I had discovered the way you use tarot was I was using it as not so much a writing prompt, but almost like a journaling prompt before I wrote, if that makes sense. That I would like yeah. pull a card, journal on that, and then use that to then go write in this sort of Julia Cameron way of getting the juices flowing. Yeah. And then I found, saw your way of using the cards as like tools in the actual writing itself, which sort of blew my mind. But I just think it's so cool. And it's it makes so much sense when you say it like that and I've since come across a couple of books which use tarot cards in a really similar way one of which I've talked about on the podcast which is All Our Hidden Gifts by Caroline O'Donoghue and she you've have you read it it is sitting on my shelf <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm literally looking at it as we speak I haven't read it it's it's yeah. going to be one of my Christmas break reads as it oh, happens so oh how lovely you found me at just the right time yeah no it's a wonderful book but it has this character in the book who is a tarot card and who is I mean a made-up tarot card called the housekeeper I love the way in which that sort of personification through the pack has come with that character and then another book called The Castle of Cross Destinies by Italo Calvino have you read that as well yes that one I have yeah yeah amazing what he's done yeah yeah. So for anyone who hasn't read it, it's uh, a bunch of travellers are travelling through the woods. They come to this castle and lose the power of speech. And at the end of the meal, a tarot deck is brought out and people begin to tell their stories through the cards and through interpretation of what these 
cards might be. And I thought it was such an interesting, it was particularly interesting because of the way in which it reflects, I think, back on us that there's actually not all that much difference between like us and a tarot card, if that makes sense, because of the way in which we are just a series of signs to be interpreted that you have like, oh, I've got like, I feel a bit sad, but also like happy. And then I'm like wearing this coat or something and all those things build up to like create a mood or a day or a situation. Just like the tarot card, that book really made me mull on that. Yes, I'm so excited to... Sorry, I've like got so many things to say because I don't talk to people about tarot and things like that so much. So it's like just got to get everything off my chest really quickly. And <laughs> um, so what did you think of Italo Calvino's book? Yeah, similarly, it's so funny because I'm I'm going to go off on a tangent now. Um, yeah, do. It's been a long time since I read that one. But there's a, there's a Christian Bale film called Knight of Cups. I think it's Knight of Cups. Ah. It might be Prince of Cups. Okay. In which, so he plays the Prince of Cups, but this woman, yeah. she goes on kind of almost a, a Christmas Carol-esque journey through several of the tarot archetypes. And he is the, the Knight of Cups. Oh, um, interesting. Which I, I haven't seen it yet. It's oh. on my lit. Like, I'm, I need to watch <laughs> it. it. It does that same thing where, and that's what, when I talk about tarot cards as, as writing prompts, Mm. especially when it comes to writing. There's so much in common, right, with the the hero's journey and and Joseph Campbell and a lot of the, the seven basic plots, all of the story structure there. In the tarot, you have these 22 major arcana cards where you get the, the fool through the world, and there's a similar arc. The tarot arc is much more complicated than your classic hero's journey arc, mm-hmm. but... It's a, it's a version, it's a shade of that. And so, of course, it's a storytelling tool. And, of course, writers like Calvino and, of course, filmmakers and, and Caroline, who I know reads tarot for herself as well, of course, we would turn to those storytelling tools to help us get through mm. the stories that we tell. Of course we would. If, we, if we're turning to Joseph Campbell, why would we not turn to the tarot? Because it's just another version Mm. of an arc and really the archetypes in the tarot are much more complex much juicier this comes back to Calvino we can see so much juicier than what you get in the Luke Skywalker hero's journey style (laughs) the hero will get the will get the bomb and come back in the in the major arcana arc you've got all kinds of complications amongst that you have your hanged man moment you have your tower moment you have your devil moment and there's just there's something deeply subversive about the tarot's arc that i don't think makes it in to some of those more simplistic story structure guides and that's why i think it's so brilliant because it asks us to ask harder questions and to look inward Mm. more than i i think someone like campbell or or christopher booker is really asking the tarot so i guess what i'm trying to say (laughs) is the tarot is not about plot structure necessarily as a Mm. writing tool it's about character arc yes which is it is about development um, yes in a way that i don't think comes up in a lot of in a lot of your classic writing guides and that's I'm a character driven writer so that's what I love Mm. about it. To take it back a few steps I'm fairly new to tarot and so tell me about those arcs and what's so subversive about about them and (laughs) what the Campbell is he a 
does he have a sort of guide for interpreting tarot? I wish Joseph Campbell had a guide for interpreting tarot. I would have <laughs> loved to read it. Um, but no. So let's start with the hero's journey is... Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's 10, 12, 12 steps along the hero's journey mm-hmm. that start with a character who doesn't know what they're getting into and ends with a character who brings wisdom back to their community. That's the general gist mm-hmm. of, of his version. And, and you can apply that arc to most commercially popular stories mm-hmm. throughout all of history, right? The 22 major arcana of the tarot. For listeners who are unfamiliar with the tarot, there are a total of 78 cards in the tarot, but the big kind of famous ones you'll have seen that are the hanged man and death, those are members of the major arcana. And that starts with the fool, which is a a figure who's walking into the abyss, but with joy. So they're taking a risk into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And it ends with the world, which very much is about bringing wisdom back. And and it's a cycle. So they share these starting and ending points in common. Mm -hmm. But where the change occurs is that in Campbell's plot structure for the hero's journey, Mm it's quite linear. So you get a character who's going through growth, who's meeting the people he needs to meet, who Mm -hmm. then completes a challenge that he or she needs to overcome and grows via that challenge. And that's how they end up bringing this, Cameron's words are elixir, my words would be wisdom back Mm -hmm. to community. The tarot has a lot more peaks and troughs, I suppose, Mm -hmm. as life does. The tarot feels less linear to me, which from a storytelling angle, more complicated, but Mm. also more interesting. Yeah. So for instance, you have, you go from the fool to the next card in the tarot sequence is the magician. Mm -hmm. And then from magician, you move to a card called high priestess, which is not a natural progression Mm -hmm. from fool, which is taking a risk. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, I'm really, really, as you probably know, generalizing the cards, but fool represents kind of a positive risk, right? Magician represents this kind of mini confidence that comes from taking that risk and Mm -hmm. being able to take action. But then we go into this high priestess who is someone who withdraws from the world and is really focused inward. Mm. And from a storytelling point of view, we skip that step a lot of the time. We go straight from fool to magician and we kind of then get into the action of the story. We've Mm. forgotten these moments that we spend reflecting. Mm. Literary fiction does this really well. I think we spend a lot of time in reflection in literary fiction, but in kind of plotty arcs, we Mm. miss this deep regression into the self which is really interesting and tells us a lot about our characters and I think the the tarot is much better at prodding us into doing that kind of deep thinking about what's going on underneath the surface of the story. I suppose the only thing I can think of as an equivalent is like a training montage as like a stereotypically growthy inward reflection moment but it's not quite the same. Yeah, and that to me feels much more sitting in the magician space, mm-hmm. really, because like things are being made to happen. And that high priestess is so internal. It's so quiet. The tarot, the major arcana is numbered 1 to 22, or 0 to 22, excuse me, because the fool is 0. 
right? Zero to 21. Oh gosh. See, I told you I couldn't do math. <laughs> <laughs> zero to 21. There are 22 cards numbered zero to 20, yeah. 20, 21. <laughs> okay. That's why I got told I was excelling in language and not numbers. <laughs> but so there's 22, they're numbered. Mm-hmm. But what you find is I just think it's less linear, but in a way that is way more interesting. So there's several points along the path where you get cards like the High Priestess. So you get High Priestess, you get the Hanged Man, and you get the Star and the Moon, all of which are really internal facing cards Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily present in story writing guides. So Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, as opposed to the 12 steps of the hero's journey, we get 22 steps with the major arcana alone that remind us about not just the action that needs to be taken. So we've got cards like the Fool, the Magician, the Tower, which are all like action based, Mm. but also all along the way, there's these internal checkpoints that aren't really present in a lot of plotting structure Mm. or that authors, I think more modern than ever, are encouraged to kind of skip over the deep stuff to get to the action because we we want fast moving stories. But we have to understand the deep stuff in order to tell a good story. Mm. We can't just we can't just lay out a character along the 12 steps of a hero's journey and say there's an interesting book. We have to look at what's going on underneath the surface. We have to look at where that high priestess work and reflection work is happening. We have to look at where the self-care work is happening and where it's not happening. And we have mm. to look at the moments that kind of flip the characters emotional landscape upside down Mm. as much as we look at how much the plot flips the external world upside down am Mm. i completely rambling now no i'm so interested it's really fascinating i've just never heard someone talk about tarot in that in that way before i think it's so fascinating so please keep telling me things it's really it. So there's a there's a writer called Rachel Pollock who wrote the book Seventy Eight Degrees of Wisdom, which mm. is kind of the quintessential guide to the tarot. Mm. And she is much better at explaining this than I. She's broken the major arcana down into three sections and talks about how each of those sections is a a personal development journey in its own right. Mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that that can be completely lifted and put on top of a character that you're writing about. Hundo P, why not? (laughs) Um, Anyone here who's interested in using tarot for writing, interested Mm. in the way that Calvino uses it, or just the way that it applies to story structure in general, reading the kind of introduction to Rachel Pollack's book is a great place to start. She's not writing for writers, but Mm. it's incredibly applicable to understanding how the the structure in the system and that mm. language that I'm talking about start to work. But then you don't have to know that entire arc to mm. put the tarot into use no, in your yeah. writing. You don't have to know anything at all. You just need a deck. You don't even need a tarot deck. It could be any kind of card deck with images <laughs> because the point is really about creating a tool for yourself that you can always rely on to unstick you. And you can do that with your writing. You can do it with art. You can do it with your journaling prompts like you are, Alex. You can you can do it for whatever reason. I use it sometimes when I'm stuck on what I'm going to do. Like, what, how, what kind of offering am I going to put out for 
my business next year. I'll pull mm. some cards to see what strikes me about it. Mm. And that's not about, I know that this card represents this kind of moment on my journey. Maybe, mm. I don't know, I pull a card and I'm like, oh, I like the flowers in there. I wonder if I want to do like some kind of workshop about what floral mm. associations could be used for in poetry I don't know that's a really bad idea (laughs) yeah it sort of gives you permission to access something it gives you this false confidence that there is some purpose behind a thing so instead of sitting around and being like ah I'm an imposter and none of this means anything and what am I doing what am I trying to do it sort of gives you a false confidence that there is some purpose and something has made you choose this card and that means that therefore you are free to unlock whatever it is in your brain waiting to come out and I sometimes feel like your brain just like makes a leap and and you see the flower and you go oh of course I have to write about like the water mill and the river of course because you've linked flour with flour and grain and a mill or something that could be the wildest association but you've essentially just been given the freedom to make the leap or to unlock the thing that's been waiting to come out in some way exactly so I don't know maybe about four or five months ago I did an all-day online writing retreat and Mm. I I'd meant to work on my novel and I just I rocked up on the day and I was like, I'm not in the mood to write the novel. And do you know what would make me feel really good? To write a short story and to finish something today. Yeah. I just like to do something else today. Mm-hmm. But I sat down on my computer and I went, I have no idea what I'm going to write. None. I said, okay, I'm going to pull some cards. Mm-hmm. So I have a I have a deck called the Deck of Character, which is an Oracle deck technically and not a tarot deck. So for anyone who's unfamiliar, an Oracle deck is just a deck of cards with illustrations that aren't related to the tarot system. So anyone can make an Oracle deck. You just Mm -hmm. put a whole bunch of different, whatever images you want on some decks of cards. Just don't follow the same system and structure of a tarot deck, which is great. So I, I pulled a couple of cards from this deck of character. And I think I pulled, I pulled a key I pulled a thief and I pulled an airplane. I'm like, okay. Never written a story on an airplane before, but I Mm -hmm. feel like a flight would be a great way to, you know, that gives me a really contained setting. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I ever ended up using keys, but I'm not quite sure. But then the thief I thought was really interesting. So I got out Google, right? And I started Googling airplane theft. And I (laughs) ended up down this mad google hole about peter jackson the director of lord of the rings right yeah. collects i think it's world war ii planes like yeah. he has a hangar full of world war ii planes but somebody conned him into buying a fake plane or something like this <laughs> which i thought was fascinating yeah. so i ended up at the end of the day <laughs> with a story about yeah. A guy who meets a con man on a plane, they're on their way to New Zealand, because obviously I was thinking of Peter Jackson, Mm -hmm. they're on their way to New Zealand where the guy, not the con artist, my main character, is Mm -hmm. trying to win his girlfriend back because she's an actress on the set of The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. It was absurd. But it was really interesting (laughs) because I wrote this whole thing in a day that I Mm -hmm. never would have, I never would have written Never. I don't tend to write either. This was really interesting. I don't mm. tend to write from a male perspective. I I always oh, write as yeah. a woman. Yeah. But that's just what came out. How interesting. It's just what happened. And so uh, by this 
kind of freeing myself up to be like, well, the cards say what they say, and I've just got to kind of follow what they're prodding me towards. Yeah. I was able to write a piece that's completely different from uh-huh. what I usually do. Yeah. But in reading it back, the thing that I realized as well as I was reading it back, I was like, oh, this is so different. I would never write something set in New Zealand. Like I would never mm. choose to write something set in New Zealand. I've never been to New Zealand, so I had to do a whole bunch of map research as well. It was great because they do it. They do a road trip, but I'd never do that. I'd never write that on a plane. I'd never mm. write from a man's perspective. All of this mm. came about because I pulled an airplane yeah. and a thief out of a deck of cards. But looking at the story, even though the circumstance is so off what would naturally come into my mind, mm. my voice was there. I recognized myself as a writer on the page. Yeah, My sense of humor was yeah. there. What kind of delights and interests me, I'm really into writing about spoiled well-meaning people (laughs) um, who just are unfortunately useless like I find that really interesting that's there yeah and all of that came through this different vessel because I thought I don't know what to write about so I'll just pull some cards so I found a completely different avenue for what it was still very much my strong voice as a writer and that's what's so amazing to me about that process it's the best example I have, but oh gosh, it's it's so cool. I've read it back a couple of times and I, I've thought about submitting it and it's just not quite ready yet. But mm. it's like, it's a solid story. I'm proud of it. It's not a thing that just kind of, I was like, oh. although sometimes there's loads of things where I'm like, at least I turn the tap on, I pull a card and I see what happens. And sometimes yeah. I write something I like and sometimes I don't, but definitely have these moments where things really work and it really, mm. it really helps navigate and send you in new directions without completely taking you off course. Mm. It reminds me of, and I'm going to butcher it, but the the idea that like, I think Aristotle and Socrates both talk about it, that there's a genius who is separate from you that is instrumental yeah. in your creative thinking, your writing and things like that. It feels like an embodiment of that, that you have these cards that are sort of external to you, but allowing you to access that part of yourself or that like, external factor to in within yourself (laughs) yeah so cool I'm not super witchy or woo woo about it either like I'd like to take it quite practically I don't get I'm not like an overly spiritual person but you're exactly right it's this it's being creativity is such a it's so personal and it's Mm. so it's so siloed inside of us that being able to direct it out with a mirror like a deck of cards where we're just Mm. like oh I don't have to be responsible for everything something Mm. can kind of tell me what to do next Mm. yeah of course it's you telling you what to do it's you seeing what you see in the cards but you get to yeah have this mind trick of like I don't have to take full responsibility for myself (laughs) creativity is so much about yeah 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 So speaking of not being super woo-woo, you mentioned one of your old loves as being Harry Potter and linking that to Tara. And I thought that was really interesting because I find Harry Potter to be like very isolated from, like it's about magic, but like very not like woo-woo in relation to magic. It's not, it's not got that, like those tropes of magic being connected to like your inner self and like your stability and that you need to be able to like harness your emotions and use that to channel the magic. And it's very sort of formulaic in its approach to magic in that you like say a spell and 
then magic happens. And I was interested in how that connected for you with the tarot. Yeah. Okay. I think about this a lot. Okay. Good. <laughs> Probably <laughs> I'm like ready. so much more. So yeah. much more than I should. Um, <laughs> I have this memory of myself at mm-hmm. age like mm, twelve. Mm-hmm. Like I was heavy on the Harry Potter fan boards, like mm-hmm. all over. Like such a like true nerd. <laughs> and I have this memory of myself age 12. So I started reading those books when I was nine. They came out when I was nine and the last one came out when I was 18. So very much I grew up alongside of it. And I have this memory of myself going, some people say that I'll grow out of loving Harry Potter, but I never will. And I like remember <laughs> making this commitment to myself and then yeah. you fast forward to now. And um, I think I did, I did pretty good holding out into my, into my <laughs> late twenties. And then I think what happened is I, you know, there's been lots of conversation around, I think, the socio-political issues that arise with, with good uh-huh. old JK Rowling. Yeah. And I think it created this opportunity for me to redefine magic for myself. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I think that was the moment where I started thinking, this is what magic has meant to me. And this is how I've escaped. And this has been kind of this. I grew up in a in a military family. I moved around a lot. So mm-hmm. so reading Harry Potter books was a real constant for me and I was very very attached. And in doing that, I think I had this really rigid idea of even the kind of writer that I wanted to be, what success in writing was based on kind of what I idolized in in these books and what what success looks like and I mean genuinely Alex, I've been to the Harry Potter studios five times. <laughs> I have a I have a large collection of Harry Potter books. I somewhere if someone wants to Google me on the internet, there's an, uh-huh. there's an article that I wrote about how Harry Potter fan fiction was my sex education. So that's just like <laughs> this is this is who you're dealing with. Like it's, yeah, it was a problem. Um, so I don't think I'd ever yet. Yeah, it's so silly to think about now but I had this really limited view like that's the kind of magic that I wanted but I knew it was Mm. fictional so I wasn't really open or interested to exploring what else it could mean and and coupled with the fact I grew up in quite a religious household so I wasn't really interested I think it was a safe place for there to be magic because it was Mm. in a book and I didn't have to worry about anything else and then my identity as a Harry Potter fan has changed over the past three or four years. I think I've had to rethink that. I felt disappointed. And yeah, I think really. suddenly for something I think that I grew up with as a, I mean, as I say, I wrote this, I wrote this essay about getting my sex education from Harry Potter fan fiction. And I think for me, <laughs> it was, that's how I learned about different communities. That's how I learned about different people. You know, I didn't, I wasn't getting it in school. You can tell I'm American, so you can imagine how much sex that I was getting in school. So, I mean, I learned what a condom was from a <laughs> Harry and Ron are having sex fan fiction. So this is like, this is where I'm coming from. Bernie bought every flavored condom, so it was the best joke Oh my the God! Oh my God! They need to market that. <laughs> you would think. Nobody, nobody's done it yet. Where I was at was I was I was really falling out of love with I think what had always been historically where magic sat for me. Mm. And that's when a friend of mine offered to read some tarot for me and she offered mm. and I said, Oh, do you know what? I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite into like I'm not super comfortable with yeah. it. Somewhere somewhere between I had this really kind of safe box where magic and my imagination lived and it was in my little 
big Harry Potter obsession, right? And then everything else in my life was very practical and I didn't want to engage in self-empowerment and that side of I was really uncomfortable Mm. um and my friend laid out her cards and never have I felt more wrong in my entire (laughs) life in like the most beautiful way but I I do think and like this is this is me I do think there's a there was a connection to be I was on the lookout for something to fill that kind of space of Mm. I definitely needed magic in my life And I'd been looking to this really safe kind of little box of Mm. where I understood all the rules. I understood all the the systems and I I liked it and I loved it and it felt like a real escape. But then suddenly I found myself feeling like that wasn't quite where I wanted to be spending my imaginative time, my creative time anymore. And I had Mm. to look elsewhere. And I was very lucky that at that at that kind of moment, a different, a very different definition of what magic could be or what um, what imagination and creativity could be arrived. It, mm. it felt very, the synchronicity felt very real. Previously to that, kind of as an example, I'd tried a couple times to do Julia Cameron's Artist's Way and yes. I really struggled, really struggled with the spiritual aspect of it. I really rejected that a lot. It made me super uncomfortable. And I think oh. in this moment of, moving away from this kind of fictional magic that dominated Mm. my definition of what magic could be and moving into this tarot space completely changed the way that I saw the relationship between my spirituality and creativity as well. I think I, Mm. I don't know that I fully articulated exactly how those two things link up to me or not, but it was just this, it was this moment of real, I was looking for something else. Mm. And I had been so reliant on this, this very specific escape and fascination Mm. with magic that fascination with magic was there that's what was so interesting to me about harry potter as a kid as well i was into king arthur and dragons and all of that Mm. like i was a super nerd but but harry potter was what captivated me but it all kind of magic and the the exploration of magic through fiction was hugely Mm. hugely important but suddenly suddenly i think i needed to feel I had a bit more control over Mm. what magic could be for myself. I didn't want to put it in the hands of an author or a specific world anymore. I wanted, I wanted what previously had made me a bit uncomfortable, which really was power, right? Mm. Really was power over my own experience of what magic quote unquote could be. Mm. I think because I found fantasy and magic as a child really a really important tool for understanding my emotions and like emotional (laughs) growth and stuff in the way that they would explain this like wild force inside you and the different ways in which you could channel it and that if you didn't channel it it might like overtake you and stuff like that not in a Harry Potter context but um that it is I think such a useful sort of allegory for describing and and exploring so many different things that it's so interesting that it then connected for you and now I'm beginning to see to tarot and I because I haven't actually read Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way but loads of people have told me have recommended it to me and then I saw that you were recommending is it The Listening Path more than The Artist's Way because you have a difficult relationship with her first book could you tell us a bit about first the books and then and then the problem you have with it or the issue you take with it yeah absolutely so so The Artist's Way is a like creative cult classic at this point right Mm. Julia Cameron uh, who is a film writer and director 
created this 12-week program, which is inspired by her experience in an Alcoholics Anonymous program. So 12 Mm. weeks, there's a similar kind of structure there. Well, interesting that that links to the Joseph Campbell 12 um, stages of the hero's journey. Sorry to interrupt. (laughs) You're exactly right. I'd never thought about that before. Yes, it totally does. Yes. So a 12 week program on recovering your creativity, which Mm -hmm. is based in her kind of through her personal spiritual lens. So she's not, she's a spiritualist, but she's not necessarily associated with any particular religion or, or, or spiritual system. But she has this list, and I think a lot of people have experienced this opening opening up the artist's way. She has this list at the beginning about, it's kind of the, the, the commandments of her 12-week program, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is focused on creativity is God, and God gives us creativity. And her mm-hmm. definition of God is really kind of a universal spirit. But I found that really difficult. I found it really difficult to give the power of my creativity over to mm-hmm. go- a God I wasn't sure I believed in or or if I did, wasn't sure I liked very much, you know. Mm. Um, that to me was always really difficult. I, th- I think in kind of opening up my own, I, call, I like to call myself a bit of a spiritual magpie and in opening up my own kind of like, okay, God doesn't have to mean in the similar way that I've redefined magic to myself. I think mm-hmm. in a in a lot of ways I've redefined through a lot of work with Tara what God could mean to myself. Mm-hmm. But but off the bat, you've got something that feels quite religious and, and mm. I don't know, dogmatic. So you're starting the program off. If you're a person who doesn't respond very well to dogma, you're starting this 12-week program off with a bit of dogma, which mm. I think for, for many of us can be a bit frustrating. Mm. And then you've got what follows a, a very rigorous 12-week program. Julia prescribes every day you must write three stream of consciousness journal pages first thing when you wake up in the morning mm-hmm. called morning pages. They're very famous. I'm generally a proponent of some morning pages. I think they're really good for us, but I also think you can skip them and it's fine. Didn't do mine this morning. Still walking, talking, listening, talking <laughs> to you. Wrote today. It's fine. I'm alive. And what she calls artist dates, which are, you know, time spent dedicated mm. to your curiosity. But there's also like a load of reading and a load of tasks in between. Mm. And there's a week Week four on The Artist's Way, you have to cut out reading and watching TV. Oh, <laughs> ah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For what end? So the idea is that if you're not consuming other art, you're yeah. going to make your own. It's a good idea. Okay. It's not like, it's not very motivating. <laughs> Nobody was, and once you once you've started the program and realize yeah. you don't want to do week four once, anytime you start over, you get to week four, and you're like, oh my god, no, I don't want to do it because I'm yeah. in the middle of a book that I'm really enjoying, or I want yeah. to the movies later. Um, <laughs> it's not it's not great, and I find it super super demotivating. Overall, the program itself it's about it's about artistic recovery and creativity. It, yeah, I wholeheartedly believe in the vision that she kind of has for people mm-hmm. owning owning their creative power. I don't necessarily think that some of the things that she does through that program help really sensitive artists actually do that because 
whether it's this kind of like dogmatic God stuff or it's Mm. a ban on reading. Those are things that I find. And I think a lot of people that I've spoken to have struggled with the program, find those to be really, yeah, not worth the challenge or or you're really hard on yourself if you haven't done them or if you haven't done your morning pages every day. Mm. So it's a, it's kind of a Marmite book, right? Like you Mm. either love it or you hate it. I think, I think it's got loads of good ideas in there, but I don't love the 12 week program. Okay. The listening path. However. is a six-week artist's way inspired program yeah. that does not require you not to read <laughs> very importantly there's no week there's no quote-unquote week four there's no ban <laughs> on tv there's no ban on books and in general the homework is a little bit lighter and finishing a program in six weeks is a lot easier mm. than finishing a program in 12 and when you're trying mm. to do creative recovery when you're trying to unblock the yeah. last thing you need is a program that's too long for you to get to the end of oh interesting yes you know like there's such a confidence boost mm. in finishing something yeah <laughs> 12 weeks is a long time to ask people to do a lot of work one of which includes not watching any tv reading any <laughs> books i just think it's a bit it's a bit pie in the sky and I don't know how people listening to this may completely disagree. Loads of people think it's changed their lives. Mm. And I think the thinking behind it is really good, but I don't mm. think for a certain set of people, it's the most helpful way to approach a creative block because it can create a lot of guilt because it's quite demanding. Mm. So I love the listening path because I think it's much kinder. I think it's, it's a, I think what she's done there is, is create something for, the subset of people who found the artist way not too hard but mm. too rigid um, and the listening path is a lot softer and it gives a a much more focused this is funny a much more focused attention to attention and it's about what we mm-hmm. notice and how we um relate to the world around us and the things that we can do without cutting out reading for instance mm. to settle back in so there's a lot of there's a lot of reading about taking walks without your headphones in, like much more manageable oh. tips yeah. i think which yeah. is wonderful and there's mm. the spiritual side of it is a bit more open she has a really interesting chapter on mediumship and i'm not much into mediumship but i found it quite a lot less again dogmatic she speaks to lots of different leaders in different creative and spirituality spaces so there are Mm. a lot more voices involved i just like it better i mean Mm. and if anyone is listening and has ever felt like the artist way wasn't for them i Mm. always recommend the listening path because i think it really it really opened me up to her thinking in a way that Mm. yeah really really I don't know what the word that I'm looking for is, but it's a it's a brilliant book and yeah. and it's it does something similar in a softer way to the artist's way that I I really appreciate because I just think the artist's way is great, but it can also be really discouraging because it's really rigid. Mm. The listening path does require morning pages in the same way, but to that I just say, again. I'm alive and kicking and I haven't done them today or yesterday, <laughs> but I'll do some tomorrow. And sometimes yeah. I do them at noon, you know, it's yeah. fine. The intention is really what matters. She and I mm. differ on that, but she's a genius. So, you know, me on a podcast saying I disagree with Julia Cameron. <laughs> oh, well, she'll be fine. <laughs> live. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, you've inspired me. I'm going to go out and find that book now. The other book that you mentioned was Wintering by Catherine May, which sounds super interesting. Can you tell me about a bit about that? 
It's so good. <laughs> a Wintering is a memoir by Catherine May, who's a, a professor and a writer, and it is framed around the months of winter. <laughs> Surprising no one. It's called Wintering. Mm -hmm. And it's about the it's the subtitle is the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. So wintering yeah. the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. And it's it's a, it's her memoir about a period of time in which her husband got ill and then she went through an illness herself mm -hmm. and really kind of reevaluated the way that her life rhythm looked. Mm -hmm. She talks a lot about how as a preference, she's always really loved winter and mm -hmm. she loves that kind of quieting, slowing down. Mm -hmm. And she had this period in her life, which felt like a, a life winter. Mm -hmm. And I, it's beautifully written, really combines the, the metaphor of winter, the season for the emotional winters that we go through as people. Mm -hmm. But what's super interesting to me in general is the idea of seasonality. Mm -hmm. So I was having this conversation with someone the other day, actually, we ignore the cycles of our life experience so much in the modern age. Mm -hmm. We, we want to believe that everything is steady all the time, right? We've, I mean, that's what the advancement of civilization has been about is making everything steady and the same, mm. but nature does what it does mm -hmm. and the seasons come and they go and the moon changes and mm -hmm. you know everything life is this cycle and so often where this comes into i think conversation with my work i talk a lot to clients i ran a workshop earlier this year actually about creative cycles mm -hmm. and how we all know this, but we like to pretend that productivity is just steady output, steady output, steady output. Yes. Write 500 words a day and then you'll yeah. have a book at the end of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Mor morning pages. Yeah, exactly. But that's not how life works. No. Creative, creativity is an emotional act. Emotions are not steady and stable all the time mm. that would be insane and art would not be made if they were because what's interesting to us is the way that emotions ebb and flow the way that mm. they change and so what's what's brilliant about what Catherine may has written and what i think is really important in terms of creative cycles is we make room and we celebrate the times that we don't have a huge output we mm. see those times as not having a huge output as as wintering moments of hibernation yeah. moments of, of mm. reclamation of that time. You know, mm. the days physically get shorter. We don't mm. have as much time in the day mm. during this period of the year to do what we do during the summer and our mm. energy changes and our bodies change. So of course our minds change and they don't put out the same amount of stuff. And mm. we all have, you know, I don't know about you, but like, in September's 
throughout my entire life, September is a highly productive and creative month for me. I'm mm. always on it in September. Mm-hmm. I know that about myself and my creative <laughs> cycle. Yeah. It's just true. Yeah. So I make use of it. And then yeah. I let myself rest in like November. I know I'm not doing loads of creative stuff. It's just not yeah. going to happen because probably in September. So I'm not a NaNoWriMo girl for that reason. November and I don't get on. And I know that. <laughs> so I'm never going to try and do National Novel Writing Month because I'm not – November isn't my highly creative month. Knowing that so is so interesting. empowering. That even on a sort of very basic level that that's how, I mean, I know that we weren't necessarily always farmers, but on like an agricultural level, that's how the rhythm of the days would go and that you would have, you would have like incredibly busy months of harvest where you'll go, 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 go from like the sunrise to sunfall. What's it called? Sunset. <laughs> there we go. From sunrise to sunset, you're sunfall. like on the go and then you hit winter and it, and it, the pace changes. And I think that those sort of rhythms are, yeah, integral to and it's so interesting as you're saying that you've set yourself up for failure so much by expecting a consistent productivity as a writer or a creative that you because you you do feel like a failure if you're like oh I'm not sticking to my word count and I'm falling behind and the world's gonna like implode but the it's important it's an, practically an impossibility to stick to that sort of endless creativity but it's also some days you might wake up and write a thousand words and have a totally different expectation in that regard have you sorry to (laughs) not straight from one thing into another the moon cycles like you were saying that within the period cycles there's a set of philosophies about there being four seasons within your period cycle that there's a a sort of summer winter spring within the weeks of the period cycle what do you think about that I mean look kudos to anybody whose cycle is predictable because mine is not nor has ever been so I have I have I have no idea like yeah I, I have no idea I've never I've never had a regular cycle so I, I've never used it to track anything because mm. it does whatever it wants. And yeah. It always has. Um, <laughs> so I know for some people it works really well, but for yeah. me, I'm just like, I don't know. That's so true. <laughs> I love the idea of it, but I never, yeah, no clue. <laughs> but you know what? At the same time, even though, so I, I don't, I don't track my, my cycle with the, with the moon or I don't, and I don't tend to track I don't tend to track it that much, but I do, I do now know the cycle of how it works when it does want to show up. And Mm. that's useful to know, like that's life and creativity, probably Mm. to a T. It's not always the same. There's a great writer who talks about time as a spiral rather than just a circle. Mm -hmm. So, so things are always kind of moving Mm. in a like things are going in the same direction we're turning round and round we're kind of hitting the same points but also they're not as exactly the same place so they're changing and that's really yeah it's really important for us to remember just because there are four seasons every year doesn't mean we get the same amount of snowfall every year etc etc yeah and that to me especially when I'm thinking about like thinking about my emotions thinking about my creativity alongside what is a very chaotic body cycle it's a good reminder that like, yes, there are rules to this, but also yeah. 
the rules break and so we can come into it as prepared as we want I know yeah. when my body decides it is gonna do its thing mm. but I can't control when that's gonna happen and I can't predict mm. it but I know the signs and so then I can start to work with it once I've seen something and I think yeah similarly for our creativity like we look for the signs I I know for instance with my creative self Mm. If I, and this is one of the reasons Julia Cameron's week four drives me positively bonkers. For me, <laughs> not reading is the first sign that I'm mega depressed. Mm. So if I'm going through periods of not reading, mm. I really associate that with, with a depressive episode. So I can't mm. do it. Can't yeah. do it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. but knowing that is, is so empowering because if I notice yeah. That after a couple of days, I haven't been reading. Yeah. I can say two things, right? I can say, okay, I know what's coming. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I didn't know it was coming, but now I do. And yeah. also maybe if I take a day off and sit with my book and like to do this thing of self-care that I know is opposing what, what I consider a depressive episode, maybe I can, maybe I can stop yeah. it in its tracks. It doesn't always work, but I can no. take action. So that, and that comes back to this idea of paying attention from, yeah. from the listening path. Yeah. It's so much about our creativity as a living, breathing thing, which is why the tarot is great as well, because mm. we have to respond to it in time. It's never going to give us the same answer twice. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. We're always noticing and paying attention to new things. So it comes mm. down to being willing, right? Mm. To see patterns, but yeah. to accept that new things come yes. with patterns. And oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, that makes so much sense. Oh. Nap for me. <laughs> oh gosh. I feel like I could talk to you for hours because this is totally fascinating. And it's I'm, lovely. I'm so in love with everything we've been talking about. But I reckon probably by the time we hit an hour mark, people will stop listening. <laughs> um, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, we are talking about attention, aren't we? Yeah. God, oh, my mind is swimming with so many thoughts. And I'm just so grateful. I feel like you've both like confirmed so many things that I've been thinking about and put it, put them into words. And that, that idea of the spiral and and signs and changing signs oh yeah totally fascinating and I'm gonna look as well up Rachel Pollock's book the introduction like you said because I really want to find out more about tarot and I feel like I'm just like taking baby steps <laughs> the baby step journey beginning of the journey of tarot so so exciting to talk to you and to hear your perspective on it and how you tie that in with your creative journey thank you thank oh, you so, so much cool. it's been lovely I, I I will admit, I love hearing myself talk. Clearly. <laughs> that makes two of us. I love hearing you talk too. <laughs> it's so, I think, and that's that's what I love about like reading tarot for other people is mm -hmm. I hear myself working things out. And I, I, I'm sure there are people listening and, I, you know, you run a podcast, so you must feel similarly. Sometimes it's in the talking something out that you understand what you think. Mm. And so you have to do that work of mm. telling yourself the story. And mm. that's what's really brilliant about this kind of thing, talking to you here, but also reading tarot for clients mm. is it's really this act of telling yourself a story to make sense of mm. what's in front of you is so mm. important. So thank you yeah. for letting me Thanks for indulging me in doing oh, that today. Welcome. Thank you for talking to me. What a pleasure. My pleasure. <laughs> Lovely talking to you. And well, I hope to talk to you soon because this has been wonderful. So 
Bye then. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alex. It's been a joy. Bye.